Right, well, as they said, we are doing our next, our second, and our final installment on Fighting Fair. Yes, it is the shortest series I've ever preached in my life. Uh, there are a few reasons for that. I can't, I'm not too sure what they were. We can't remember exactly, excepting that we do want to get into a new series next week when we have Pastor Byron with us, so please do not miss out on that. One other thing that we want to encourage you with, something that we're starting next Sunday, the 26th, is something we're calling 40 Days of Simplicity. And we are inviting you, it's your choice, whether or not you want to respond, whether or not you want to participate, but we are inviting you to actually consider um, abstaining from something, anything, that would actually help create space for you to simply be more present with God. That's it. So, so it, it, it could be something as simple as sugar. I've, I've shared with you already how at the end of... Last year, kind of the last part of November, December, early Jan, I felt like, like that was something I needed to give up just to, amongst other things, including news, social media, et cetera, just to kind of give me the space that I needed to sleep better, get to bed more at a more consistently healthy time, wake up feeling fresher, able to spend better quality time with God, having more energy to exercise in a more uh, constructive way. But those are some tiny examples that I felt actually gave me more space for God. For other people, it could be caffeine, and you, your family might be happy if you give up caffeine, uh, and you're just a, a slightly more peaceful person. Um, it could be giving up series, or frankly, anything that would compete for your attention and affection, where you feel like I actually, uh, like, like there's a desire, or at least a desire to have a desire to have more space for God in your life. And so it's 40 days from next Sunday, the 26th of Feb, until Thursday, the 6th of April, which is the evening before Easter Friday. So Easter Friday is the 7th, and then of course the Sunday is the 9th. And we're going to be ending off uh, this 40 days with three nights of prayer and worship. That'll be on the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night leading up to Easter. I think it's a great opportunity. I want to encourage you to consider it seriously. We'll remind you next weekend, but have the conversation with people that, that you do life with. If you are living with other people, if you're in a family, uh, or you have roommates that care, maybe just you know agree on a couple of things that might actually help you order your life around having some more space for God. All right, can I get you to stand up very quickly, please? Not going to take long. Um, if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you to download the message. There's no way for me to sufficiently recap the first half of, of the series. But, but let me just tell you that all we focused on last week was our heart. And I'm wanting to pray for our heart before we get into some very practical tips and principles. And the reason for that is that if our hearts are not actually to love God more and to love people more, then even the tips, the principles, and some of the practices that I'm going to suggest, we could actually use them in a destructive way to try and control or manipulate people. Um, and then that's actually missing the whole point, which the, the goal is love, everybody. The goal is love, growing together, being better together, building one another up, having each other's backs. It's unity. It's love. It's not to win the fight. It's not to get what I want. And so we need to have the right heart for that. So Father, just in these moments, would you help us to actually be intentional about focusing our minds on this particular topic, on what your word says about this? But God, more importantly, would you help us to also be sensitive to any gentle nudges, whispers, prompts from your Holy Spirit as, as you want to apply your word into our lives. But God, I do pray that you would help us to see people through your eyes, 
to have your heart for any situations that we might be facing or to give us a heart in advance for situations that we might face in the future. And God, would you give us wisdom and give us discernment? We know that when it comes to building relationships, it's not just black and white. There isn't just some simple formula. It's not efficient. It can be complex and nuanced, and we need you. So please, would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Go ahead and take your seats and buckle up because we are going to be flying through a bunch of stuff. Uh, and basically, there are two categories of people, okay? Just, just to help you understand that there's some weight and value in paying attention and leaning in. Either you are in the group of people that are currently in some type of conflict and you're needing wisdom and you need to hear God, and then there's everybody else that's going to have conflict. It's not a case of if you have conflict at some point in the future. You're going to have conflict, if you, at least if you, if you do life with people, if you work closely with people, if you walk closely with people. They, I don't see how you won't have opportunity for conflict. You might ignore it, but that doesn't mean that there isn't conflict. And so we need to lean in, understand God's heart, and try and apply some of these principles. Matthew 5 verse 9 is part of the first part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and he says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. He's referring to real peace, not false peace, but real peace, where we actually do everything we can to be united, everything we can to be reconciled. And I came across this statement many years ago by author Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, where he said that every time you encounter a conflict, you will inevitably show what you really think of God. Think about that for a moment. How we treat people is a very direct reflection of how we view God. How we love people is a very direct reflection of whether or not we are responding to or receiving God's love. A question that I think is important to ask yourself every now and then, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, then please know that you're exceptionally welcome. You're basically kind of off the hook, and you can just, just listen in and see what we argue the Bible says followers of Jesus should do. But my question to you, if you are a follower, is whether or not the way you handle conflict is any different to someone that's not in a relationship with Jesus, to someone that hasn't or is not experiencing the undeserved grace and mercy and patience and kindness of God. Where in one part, Jesus says he will not break a bruised reed, he will not snuff out a smoldering wick. There are so many scriptures that refer to gentleness and kindness in the way that we address things. So again, it starts with the heart. Do we want to pursue conflict resolution, uh, fighting for the relationship, fighting for the future, fighting for the person uh, any differently to someone that does not believe in the unconditional grace and love of God. Make sense? All right, you ready to get into some principles? Rapid fire, because load shedding is coming, okay? If you are following with us on version, we have deliberately left a few keywords out because I don't want you to just read through and think you've got it, okay? I want you to actually listen and pay attention. So there might be some areas that you need to put in a couple of words. So here are some principles and practical tips. Number one, going back to last week, check yourself. It starts with... Me. If there's a conflict, I have to first look at myself. We looked last week at the passage in Matthew 7, verse 3, where Jesus talks about getting the log out of your own eye first before 
worrying about the speck in someone else's, right? So, so, so my first responsibility in any kind of conflict is for me to first look in the mirror, to pay attention. That passage is not saying that we are not to engage in conflict. It's saying we shouldn't engage prematurely. So, so it means we need to first do the work. And trust me, sometimes there's going to be work. Some key areas that we can examine personally are questions like, and again, I'm not going to have time to unpack these. It's in the version notes if you want to go and download them later on if you don't have it on your phone already. Number one, am I being overly sensitive? That's a good question. What is the conflict worth to me? That's a good question. What am I fighting for? What is my attitude in the conflict? These are just a couple of examples for me to actually, some questions for me to ask myself. Now, this isn't if, you know, someone forgot to wash the dishes again. We're talking slightly more complex issues than that, okay? Remember, last week we spoke about picking your battles. We're not talking about knucklehead stuff, first world problems, speed bumps. I'm talking about if you're in a meaningful relationship and it matters to you, these are some things that are worth putting some effort into. There's something else that was put together years ago by uh, Peter and Jerry Scazzaro in their Emotionally Healthy Relationship course called The Ladder of Integrity. Again, I don't have time to unpack this in detail. I just want to quickly make reference to it. It is in the version notes, but it's, the, the idea is to do the work on self-reflection. So what's going on in me? Why is this bothering me? What am I even feeling? What do I care about? Starting at the bottom, as right now the issue of my mind is, I'm anxious in talking about this because my part in this is, my need in this issue is, my feelings about this are, what my reaction tells me about me is. Some of you are looking uncomfortable. Good. This isn't easy. This, is, this takes some... How many of you know this takes effort? Yeah. I, wish, I wish that there were shortcuts but there aren't shortcuts to meaningful relationships. The issue is important to me because I value, and vi I value fill in the blank, and I violate that value when, fill in the blank. I'm willing to, not willing to. One thing I could do to improve the situation is, the most important thing I want to know is, I think my honest sharing will benefit our relationship by, fill in the blank, and I hope and look forward to. You'll see on the right-hand side how they're broken up into three categories. What is going on inside of me? what I value, and what I hope. This is a helpful exercise. If you're, again, this isn't a way to control the other person. This is a way to reflect on me, my heart. God, is there anything that you're wanting to point out to me? Remember the scripture from last week? Lord, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me on the path of everlasting life. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, be clear. Be clear. Again, I think this can be hard for us, depending on just how complex or how triggered we are or how emotional some of the stuff causes us to feel. And I'm just telling you, there are times where I think I'm not emotional, and then afterwards I'm like, oh, wait. I think I was actually quite, I was quite upset. Sometimes it can take a while for me to realize this. Do your best to name what you're feeling. Feelings are real, even if they're not right. In other words, they might not be justified, but they are still real. 
Two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Lord, where are you? Look at this guy. Punch him in the teeth. It doesn't mean that that's how you're supposed to be praying. They're just being honest and real with God. Name what you're feeling, thinking, concerned about. Explain why you feel that way. So if you're trying to resolve something with that person, why? Why does this actually matter to you? And just by coincidence, Pastor Byron, who's with us next week, shared this statement a couple of years ago with me that has stuck with me like, like you cannot believe, like it challenges me. I had to go and, and have a very tough conversation with another pastor, right at the, like literally right at the very beginning after, after we, we took over from Pastor Donovan as a national team. I was overseeing or am overseeing the Eastern Cape and I had to go and have an incredibly painful conversation with another pastor. And you just said, Jason, remember, to be clear is to be kind. To be clear is to be kind. Now, if you know me on a personal level, you know that I really prefer to encourage as opposed to discourage. So sometimes in my hope to want to encourage, I can actually water the thing down and then the person's left thinking, oh, was I fired? Like, what actually happened? And that's not kind. That's actually very unkind. To be clear is to be kind. I think it's Bill Hybels who, who coined the phrase, go the last 10%. So often when we're, when we're in a huge thing, in a, in a huge uh, conflict, we may be willing to share the 90%, but it's often the last 10% that's actually where the real money is. That's where, that's where the real crux is. To be clear is to be kind. Be clear, share the last 10%. Then, number three, be kind. Be kind. We're not gonna read the whole chapter because we don't have time, but there is no chapter that, that I'm aware of personally in the Bible that challenges me more on this topic and everything we're talking about than Ephesians chapter four in how it addresses us doing everything we can to fight for unity, to work towards being better together, stronger because of our differences, not, not causing harm, but, but help and, and healing. And towards the end of chapter four, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, verse 32, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as through Christ, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. The same, we're not gonna have this on the screen, is in Colossians 3 verse 12. Since God chose, to be, chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must close yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This doesn't mean that we don't address stuff. It doesn't mean that we're not very, very clear. I just think that, it's, that, that for Christians, depending on how you've grown up and depending on your family of origin, I think for many of us, it is so hard to interpret clarity and honesty as anything other than nasty or destructive, but it's not. We can be kind in being clear. Again, is it the knife of a surgeon or is it the knife of an attacker? It's meant to, and so I think, I think it's how. This is talking to the how. We do it with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Galatians 5.22, the famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit, things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're not being kind when we are being, when we're sharing half-truths or not communicating clearly, but we're also not being kind if we are trying to communicate the truth, but with a really sharp edge to our tongue 
or to our tone or in the way that we are engaging in it. At the very beginning of that chapter 4, you know, the book of Ephesians, it says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, this is Paul writing, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. It's doing everything we can. It disturbs me. Not, not from a judgmental point of view, from a sadness and a disappointment point of view, where when I talk to couples that have been in church, that have read the Bible, that, that might even go to a life group, et cetera, for years, but they've never developed the, the emotional maturity or the heart or the skills to engage in conflict in a healthy way. And so there is pain, there is blood on the walls, you might even know people. You might, you, might, you might feel like you're someone that's come from the situation where, where looking back, I heard all this stuff theoretically, but, but God, why weren't we able to actually engage in conflict, addressing real issues in a life-giving way, even though we were in church every week, in life group every week, reading. You can be reading the Bible every day and still engage in conflict in a really, really destructive way. Now, by the way, I wanna be very clear. This is not suggesting that you allow yourself to be vulnerable to an abusive, manipulative, exploitative person. We're not talking about that. This is, this is talking in the context of two people, and it does take two people. Forgiveness takes one person, by the way. Yeah. The other person doesn't have to be sorry. Forgiveness is one person. But reconciliation, that does take two people. So I'm talking about two people that actually want to try and resolve it. And if Two people don't, then that's obviously the starting point. So, so we, even the term speak the truth in love comes from Ephesians chapter four, verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's why, We've said it now many times that when it comes to the idea of unity, it's not just the absence of division, it's actually the presence of maturity. In other words, we are helping one another in the way that we speak the truth in love. The truth in love. How many of you know that the truth without love can really hurt? Do you know that also love without truth can also hurt? That's just a side note for parents. Again, Chris Hodges used this many times and it, it helps me with my perspective. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Grace and truth is medicine. Let's speak the truth in love. Some tips for kindness. Where possible, talk in person. I know that we live in a different era where we can do video calls and all this. I would say in person, first prize, video call, second prize, and hopefully that's just because the person's in another part of the world. Maybe a phone call, a voice note, like last, generally speaking, you should be putting stuff in your writing, but I'll touch on that in a moment. But the reason for this is because we can communicate with facial expressions, with our tone of voice, with our body language. 
So where possible, talk in person. Again, letters do serve a purpose, especially when it comes to helping maybe clarify the, the different issues, the different challenges, and especially if you give it a couple of days before you share it and you have time to process, to think, to, to look out for any words that might be triggering um, or unnecessarily provocative, and maybe it, it helps invite towards the conversation, towards resolution. But generally speaking, you, you want it to be as personable as possible. Another tip would be simply to choose the best time. Sometimes you can have the right thing that you want to address in the right way, but the timing is just not great. So let's just ask God for a lot of wisdom there. Um, if you, again, if I'm thinking in a family scenario, you probably don't want to be addressing a hot topic when someone's walking out the door and they're running late for a meeting. Like that's probably not the, the, the best time to drop a bomb, okay? Uh, it's best not to have distractions. So the TV, phone should probably be on flight mode, whatever. Just, just try and choose your time really well and hit pause if necessary. If things, guys, you, we are all human beings. We are whole people made up of body, soul, and mind. We, we have emotions. We have, we, have, we have worldviews. We have perspectives from things that we've grown up with that we don't even necessarily know. Like, we just don't know how easily we can get triggered. So I don't think the goal is to never ever get triggered. I think we need to value the relationship enough to say, okay, let's pause. Let's come back an hour from now or, um, or tomorrow or next year. If you're married, that's not a good idea. Hit pause if you need to, but don't hit, don't uh, sweep it under the rug. Another tip is simply to give the benefit of the doubt. I think it's kindness to actually give someone the benefit of the doubt in the sense that we tend to judge our intentions, but we judge others on actions. And that's, that's understandable. Again, that's human nature, but let's, if we're going to love well, let's give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe Maybe your spouse isn't evil. Maybe your child isn't evil. Maybe your parent isn't evil. Maybe they are, but, but I'm hoping for your... No, listen, it's, there are evil people, but chances are, chances are you've got a different problem on your hands, if that's the case. Yeah. So let's, let's not assume the worst. Okay, a fourth principle is to be objective, which is very hard in the heat of the moment. But to be objective, let's try and avoid catastrophizing. Avoid using words like always and never. And Sue catches me when I am tempted to use the word always or never. It's the problem when you preach. You know, people have stuff to hold you accountable to. It's like, I have to be a Christian too. Okay. But I think what this also speaks to is don't identify the whole person with the one thing. God doesn't do that to us. Identifying the whole person with one thing, that's shame-based. And frankly, that's what the enemy does to us. Pray for God's help to see and value the whole person. I shared last week how healthy I think it is for us to pray through the Lord's Prayer. With, if you're in conflict with someone, with that person in mind, where you're praying, our Father, give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us away from temptation. Let's pray for God's heart. Use I messages. Um, 
This is even something that, that, that secular psychologists would encourage you to do in a, in a conflict situation, is to, instead of to use a, accusatory language, to actually use language that is taking responsibility for me. So what am I feeling? How am I perceiving? How am I interpreting something? Use I messages. Then, for the most part, avoid getting historical. Avoid getting hysterical too, but, but also avoid getting historical unless it is to help the person see a pattern. But again, that's, that's assuming that there's already a constructive engagement going on. So yes, there are times where, I think when, when 1 Corinthians 13 makes reference to not keeping a record of wrongs, I think that is about not, not holding stuff against people and never letting it go. I think that there is a place to get historical if we are trying to explain why this is having an effect on us from a pattern point of view, but don't weaponize it. The moment we weaponize someone's past, the moment we weaponize a pattern, I think, I think we've lost. I think you might win the battle, but, but you could lose the person. Number five. Again, this might be hard. Ask for feedback. By this stage, if you're, if you're trying to apply these principles, by this stage, you already know whether or not you're actually wanting to resolve this thing. Because you won't want to ask for feedback if you're not wanting to resolve it. But if you're wanting to resolve it, you're going to say, okay, do you, like feedback to me. What do you understand of what I've expressed about what I feel or what I think? Do you have questions? Do you agree? Do you disagree? And if the person doesn't agree or doesn't understand, again, it's, we talk, in relationships that matter, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Let's be willing to keep engaging. Let's be willing to try and talk through it. Ask for feedback. Number six, listen to understand, not respond. Ooh, that can be hard. The human brain can think four times faster than what a person is able to speak. And that's why it is so easy for us to already be working out all of our rebuttals and all of our challenges before the person's finished instead of listening to genuinely try and understand. To, to not wait for them to take a breath to jump in with you know, the defense or the counterattack or whatever the case is. Let's, let's wait patiently. Let's genuinely, again, am I just trying to vindicate myself or am I trying to understand? It all comes back to, do I love this person? Do I care about this relationship? James 1 verse 19, James was Jesus' half-brother. How's that for a burden growing up? Said, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Anyone find that hard? I've never been accused of being slow to speak, just so you know. I've never been accused of using, you know, the two ears and one mouth in the correct ratio. So these are challenges. These are challenges. I think it takes, I think it takes a lot of humility and a lot of love for the person to genuinely do everything you can to try and hear what is being said without being defensive. To listen, to understand, not just to respond. James Clear, the author of the book Atomic Habits, although this had nothing to do with it, this isn't in the book, just something he, he wrote separately, said that the trick to viewing feedback as a gift is to be more worried about having blind spots 
than hearing about them. Let's be more concerned that I'm, let me, let me be more concerned that I might have a blind spot than just be sensitive that someone's trying to point it out to me. Clarify what the person is saying. If we want to understand, then let's feedback saying, okay, am I understanding you correctly that I offended you when I, fill in the blank, I, I was out of line or you felt, you felt undermined or you felt disrespected when I made that joke in front of our friends or I gave you the impression that I don't actually take you that seriously or that I don't respect you enough when I don't respond or when I don't. Let's actually try and feedback to people. Um, if, you, if you're interested, if you don't already have access, you can just email the church. We'll give you access, uh, free access to a great resource online called uh, Right Now Media. I think there's thousands and thousands of different great courses, videos, it's even stuff for kids on there. But one that I think is really helpful is the Alpha Marriage course, and then there's also the Alpha Marriage Preparation course, or pre premarital course. I can't remember if they address this in the pre-marriage course, but in the marriage course, they, they talk about um, a way to handle conflict where, where we are listening and feeding back and then clarifying and feeding back. And I've got to be honest, the first time I saw that, I thought, you guys, are you even like human? Like, you're so docile. Like, do you actually, are you saying that you care about this? You don't look like you care. But, but the more I've gone back to it, and again, same, same thing with Peter Scazzaro and emotional healthy relationships. Over the years, the more I've thought about it, the more I've seen it, I'm like, yeah, why can't we get to a place where we can actually engage as honestly as possible, as clearly as possible, and, and then give the person the opportunity to, to feedback, clarify what we need to, let's clarify what we agree on, let's clarify what we don't agree on, and then ask the question, can we accept each other without agreeing on this? Now, in some cases, maybe you can't. Maybe it's a moral issue. Uh, maybe it's a game changer. I, I don't know. But I think that that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Number seven, handling phases if necessary. If you have to, now again, this is like torture for me, but if you have to, have the conversation over days or over weeks. I think I mentioned last week how different Sue and I are, when it, how different we were initially when we first got married, where I would want to fight it out and resolve it. Sue would need time to process. I was being insensitive and unkind to her when I was pressuring her to try and resolve it. Um, and there was also the temptation for Sue to be a little bit unkind in the early days to if, if we left it for too long. Like, in other words, we, we, I think we need to try and find one another in the middle, but there are times where because of emotion or because we're not clear, because we're still trying to figure stuff out, we're trying to gather our thoughts, we might need to say, okay, let's pause, let's come back, let's talk again. Again, it's a marathon, not a sprint if it's a meaningful relationship. Number eight, be willing to apologize. Be willing to apologize, if sincere. So not just to shut the person up, not just to stop the pain, but if there's something for me to own and apologize for, own and apologize for it. I do think, from an integrity point of view, we need to be careful that we don't own everything if we don't think we're responsible for everything. So own what you need to own. Again, that, that, that kind of humility and, and repentance is a one-player game. It's not dependent on the other person. The other person doesn't have to apologize, the other person doesn't have to agree, but from a place of humility, if there's something I need to own, let's own it. Nearly done. Number nine, recognize your limits. Recognize your limits. I wish I could tell you that there were, that there were 
12 steps to absolutely guaranteeing the resolution of every and any relationship, there isn't. People have free will. I have a free will. You have a free will. I may not be open to the moment. You may not be open. But we have to do everything we can. Romans 12 verse 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, have I done everything I can? If you're in a situation, have you done everything that you can? And again, depending on how complex it is, maybe don't be too quick to answer the question. Let's reflect on it prayerfully. Again, maybe work through the ladder of integrity. Just praying, journaling, asking God if there's anything at all that I can or should do to try and resolve this. And lastly, you can take a deep breath. We're done. Lastly, number 10 is to forgive. I said earlier, forgiveness is a one-player game. You cannot control whether or not the other person is repentant, whether or not the other person wants to do anything differently, but we can control whether or not we hold on to the grudge, whether or not we hold on to unforgiveness. And, and the irony is that so often, I think from a human nature, subconscious point of view, you might think that you are, you're kind of keeping that person in prison by, by holding on to unforgiveness, but you're not. I mean, you could, you could, sure, there could be some negative effects, but for the most part, the person that is most in bondage is you. It's me. If I'm holding on to unforgiveness, if I cannot give up the grudge, if I cannot let go of the illusion of control, if I cannot release revenge to God, to His justice, to, to Him knowing everything I don't know and that which I do, if I can't let it go, if I cannot allow that person to be set free from my bitterness, my rage, my anger, my, my desire for revenge, then I believe that as, at my core, I have not had a revelation of God's undeserved grace and mercy to me. I have not had a revelation of God's forgiveness to me. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy. And again, I'm very aware that, that there might be people listening to this or sitting here that have gone through atrocious, traumatic abuse. I am not suggesting that that's just a quick decision or a quick prayer or a, or a trivial, it's not. It's not, it's not, it's not. Forgiveness might be an ongoing journey. In cases like that, it's seldom all at once and once and for all. It's often a journey. The best way I heard this described, which helps my, my, my personality to understand it, is that basically all sin demands payment. This is actually the gospel message. This is, this is the core message of Christianity. Nothing is, fr if I make a withdrawal, if I, uh, if I sin against someone, if I offend someone, there's a payment has to be made. Now either I'm gonna be made to pay for it or that person's gonna be made to pay for it. If, you, if, if someone steals from you on a societal level, criminal level, either there is a way to Maybe that person gets captured, maybe they get tried, maybe they get convicted and maybe they have to pay it off somehow. Or they don't, and so you keep paying the price every time you remember that injustice, every time you remember that person stole from you, every time you remember that, that, they were, that, that what they stole was actually very meaningful and great mementos. And um, I mean, I remember we, we had a burglary when our one daughter was about one years old and every, we didn't have everything on the cloud back then. So all of our photos from like the first year were taken, that really, like, that sucked for us. So, 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 so you might not be able to get that back. Now, you can either keep trying to make 
the other person pays somehow, or you pay. Someone has to pay. Forgiveness is that someone pays. When I forgive, it means I am going to absorb to some extent that anger, that bitterness. If, if I'm having a conflict with Sue and I, and I feel like she's hurt me in some way, which is impossible, but let's just say, let's just say I was married to someone else, married to Jessica, Jen, I don't know. Um, every name I thought of, I just realized there's someone in the church. That's going to be weird. Um, okay, Brunhilde. I'm married to Brunhilde. She wants to have one click. And, and I'm offended in something. Unforgiveness means that, that I'm going to keep bringing it up with her. I'm going to keep trying to make her somehow grovel, payback, whatever. Forgiveness is I actually absorb that. There is a cost involved. That's what Jesus did for us at the cross. Jesus literally took on the cost of all the sins of mankind. He was actually separated from God for a period because, because he had to endure the wrath that was built up for mankind and he was separated from his father. So when we talk, when we sing, nothing but the blood of Jesus, that's not just a cute hymn. When we take part in communion and we remember that his body was cut open and torn open and, and whipped open, that his blood was shed for us, that's not just a, a sweet, sentimental thought. It, that was Jesus paying the price for our sins. That was Jesus taking on the debt that, that we owed. And I'm saying, that's forgiveness. That's grace. It's free. There's nothing that you can add to it. And so I would just say that we need to do everything that we can within our power and prayerfully with God, asking us, and even if it's a lengthy, long journey, God, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive. Help me to, help me to accept your forgiveness. Help me to forgive. Help me to accept your forgiveness. Help me to forgive. And there are some remarkable in the natural, impossible stories of people that have been able to forgive people that have just done incredibly hurtful things. And I think that we need God for that. So I'm gonna ask you to stand one last time because again, I don't think that it is possible for us to actually handle conflict in a godly way without God, in a life-giving way without God. I don't think it's possible for us to forgive atrocious injustices and, and hurts without actually having our hearts touched and melted by the undeserved grace and mercy of God. So Father...